Hey y'all, it's Chris Marshall. I'm the pastor at Reno First United Methodist Church, and tonight we're bringing you a special episode of the Sunday Morning Sleep-In podcast. Susan Foster, uh, my co-host, and I, and two other pastors from our local area uh, joined together to do a joint uh, Good Friday worship service at Sparks United Methodist Church, which involved four scripture readings and then four kind of reflections on images in those scripture readings. So we're going to share with you the conversation that we had after the service tonight with uh, all four of us together, and we hope you enjoy. If you do, you can always like, share, and recommend the podcast to your friends and family. We're on Facebook. You can find us at sundaymorningsleepin.com and all the other places that you would listen to a podcast. So we're sitting here with Gary Pope Sears from Sparks United Methodist Church and Pat Meacham from Vanished Springs Presbyterian Church, and we've just finished our joint Good Friday worship service, which I thought went pretty well. Yeah, good. Yes, so we're definitely. just going to talk a little bit about, there were f- sort of four miniature sermons in this service, and we each took an image from Good Friday and talked about that particular image. Uh, so we're going to we're gonna talk about those now. As we look at Good Friday, which is the day that Jesus was crucified, The first scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. In the first light of dawn, all the high priests and religious leaders met and put the finishing touches on their plot to kill Jesus. Then they tied him up and paraded him to Pilate, the governor. Judas, the one who betrayed him, realized that Jesus was doomed. Overcome with remorse, he gave back the 30 silver coins to the high priests, saying, I've sinned. I betrayed an innocent man. They said, what do we care? That's your problem. Judas threw the silver coins into the temple and left. Then he went out and hung himself. The high priest picked up the silver pieces, but then didn't know what to do with them. It wouldn't be right to give this a payment for murder as an offering in the temple. They decided to get rid of it by buying the potter's field and use it as a burial place for the homeless. That's how the field got called Murder Meadow, a name that has stuck to this day. Then Jeremiah's words became history. They took the 30 silver pieces, the price of the one priced by some sons of Israel, and they purchased the potter's field. And so they unwittingly followed the divine instructions to the letter. So Gary, your image was 30 pieces of silver. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you talked about tonight. Because I, I really liked what you had to say tonight. I was really excited about it. And I was making mental notes the whole time. <laughs> I, when we when we were planning this, and we, that came up as one of the images, I jumped at it because for the last two years when we've done musicals uh, with South Reading United Methodist Church, I've had the opportunity to play in both cases, John the Baptist and Judas. Or in Cotton Patch Gospel, as we recently did, Judd. And Cindy was kind enough to sing the Judd song as I got to the pulpit tonight. Uh, so I've got this thing about Judas or Judd. It's uh, the goatee. It's the evil goatee. The Gary. evil goatee it's... and the black and the hat. What are you talking about? <laughs> Both Gary Bad guys always and have Pat goatees. have it, goatees. It used to be the mustache thing, but now it's the goatee. Yeah. The goatee gives character to an otherwise characterless face. That's right. Oh, okay. That's right. Thank you, Pat. There we go. So I, I, I did some looking, and first of all, you know, I've wondered, how much is 30 pieces of silver? 
So according to one uh, reference I saw, it would have been the equivalent of four months uh, wages for a laborer. Okay. And so in modern terms, about $7,500. Okay. Which is like, that's not chump change, but it was said, you know, for selling out somebody that's a little, a little light. But I would hope it would cost somebody more than that to kill me. I mean, I just, I would. You want that $100,000 contract? Yeah, at least, you know. Uh, But I've always come down with, I don't know, I have some sympathy for Judas, and I think that he was trying, I kind of go with what a number of people think about, that he was nationalistic, and he was, he had some of the zealot in him, and he wanted Jesus to come out, and, and that was the perfect time, the perfect time. As I thought more about it, Jesus makes his big entry into town, and it's Passover when I think I've read that Jerusalem swelled to about four times its size. And, of course, that's this huge patriotic time because they're remembering being liberated from Egypt. And, you know, those were the good old days. And if somebody could get the ball rolling on, with a good leader, you know, they could drive the Romans out, well, at least temporarily. And so he's looking for a way to nudge that. And he gets the opportunity by seeing to Jesus' arrest, which will force Jesus' hand, and Jesus will have to do something about that. But, of course, they didn't work out that way. And then I started to think about the levels of what the expectations were. You know, what, who were who was playing into this big drama? And I, I thought about the Jewish leaders, and they had a pretty simple motivation. They just wanted to get rid of Jesus because he was threatening them, you know, making things uneasy in the culture. And people were looking to Jesus and saying, why should we listen to these guys? We can listen to Jesus. And so, you know, what does authority do when it gets in trouble? It tries to eliminate the, the opposition. Judas, I think, was working at a higher level because he wanted something bigger than just his own well-being. He wanted the nation to be saved mm-hmm. from Roman oppression. Yeah. But then he couldn't quite get up to Jesus' level, which is trying mm-hmm. to liberate people from death, mm-hmm. which is a, it's a much longer view. That's a much bigger, that's yeah. a much longer bigger view, yeah. bigger, yeah. you know, higher point to be glancing from. Yeah. And, so, I, and I loved that comparison between Peter, who was sort of saving his own skin, and mm-hmm. Judas, who had this patriotic kind of thing going on. Yeah. Where, you know, he had these conflicting loyalties. Yeah. Um, so he was, he you know, he was loyal to Jesus, but he was also loyal to his his sort of national identity and wanting to, I just think that that's such a cool way to, to find some compassion for this guy who, again, in our memories, is always is always the bad guy. Yeah. You don't, he you don't... definitely had a mustache in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> you don't name children Adolf. You don't name children Judas. That's right. You yeah. Know, those are some of those cursed names. <clears throat> but he could have been a big name if he had just held on for a little while. Yeah. And yeah. Received and, forgiveness and, and then gone on to be Judas who did this and did that. But yeah. You know, and, and, and it intrigued uh, me that I had never, you know, I made the point tonight, but I had never thought about it until I encountered this study thing by Adam Hamilton a few years ago called 24 Hours to Change the World. And in the video thing, he takes a little few minutes and he goes, he just asks the question, what if Judas would have lived? Yeah. What if he wouldn't have killed himself immediately? What if he'd have thought about it for a couple of days or run off and hidden for a couple of days and suddenly he meets the risen Jesus and, you know, mm-hmm. he's got the same opportunity Peter does to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hamilton makes the point, what kind of testimony would that have been? Yeah, I mean that would have been even more compelling than Peter's. Yeah, you know the Catholics would meet at Saint Judas. All the kids would be named Judas. All the kids would be named Judas. That's right. Or Judd. Or Judd. Yes. Or Judd. In the south, it'd be Judd. And when we get into those places where either somebody has done something to hurt us, or we have done something to cause pain to ourselves or others, how often do we say, "Well, that's the end of it. Like that's that's it. There's no hope." 
instead of just waiting, just giving it a little bit of time mm. and seeing if there's a way to come back from that. That comment just really struck me about a relationship I, you know, I still grieve over because the person came to me asking for forgiveness way too soon. Yeah. Like I wasn't ready. Yeah. And I think about that. That's where Judas was. He was in that space where there wasn't space yet. Mm. And um, and how often we find ourselves in those places and we make drastic decisions that hurt us. For Judas, it was because his big plan, his big mm-hmm. plan failed. Right. That didn't pan out. So there wasn't, there was no hope left for his big plan. And, you know, the, the point I came around to was, you know, when we try to get Jesus to align with our priorities, yeah. we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it needs to be the other way around. And that is very difficult because that requires, I mean, if Jesus is going to be a humble savior, then if we're going to be humble followers, we have to be as willing to be humble as Jesus was. And that's when we've got the the national pride going, it's really hard to step back that far. Well, and to let your your plans change. And I also thought it was a really brave reflection because we have this rising nationalism in our country right now, not to get too political, but to notice that that those things that we sort of think that we're over and done with are still around and are still lingering. And we still have these folks who would want to draw lines by national identity rather than by, you know, recognizing who we are all together in this boat. I, I, I thought that that was a powerful image, particularly the events of the last week, you know, have, yeah. have made it for me very poignant. So... So thank you. Thanks, Gary. The next part of the story comes from Matthew chapter 27 again, verses 20 to 26. Meanwhile, the high priests and religious leaders had talked the crowd into asking for the pardon of Barabbas and the execution of Jesus. The governor asked, Which of the two do you want me to pardon? They said, Barabbas. Then what do I do with Jesus, the so-called Christ? They all shouted, Nail him to a cross. He objected, But for what crime? But they yelled all the louder, Nail him to a cross. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere and that a riot was imminent, he took a basin of water and washed his hands in full sight of the crowd saying, I'm washing my hands of responsibility for this man's death. From now on, it's in your hands, your judge and jury. The crowd answered, We'll take the blame, we and our children after us. Then he pardoned Barabbas, but he had Jesus whipped, and then handed over for crucifixion. washing his hands. Yes, and we kind of called that cleansed hands and I got, you know, thinking about it and and thinking about it and one of the fascinating pieces I found was this fascinating study that somebody has done the research to figure out that there's like like a psychological reason why you might wash your hands after you make a decision like Pilate makes. Yeah. And that we we tend to equivocate, right? Uh, about an about a about a decision and then we make a decision and we still have some of that leftover feeling and that the research says that... It's like some doubt about whether or not we've made the right decision. Right. And and the research says we can wash our hands and wash away that feeling. I'm going to do that all the time now. I know, I know. and I But but then um, I would too, right? Like, doesn't that sound like a great idea? Sure. But that doesn't actually work for Pilate. 
And it doesn't always work for us. And especially when we're talking about things like this is the story of Pilate saying, go ahead and kill him. And and we want to wash our hands of things that are serious like that, too. I talked about like that phrase comes from this part of the Bible, the wash. I'm going to wash my hands. hands of it. You know, and I didn't make this comment tonight, but maybe even, the, you know, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so just thought of that. How you have ruined musicals for me forever. <sighs> anyway, is it that easy? A little, a little soap, a little water, a towel, and something can no longer be our concern. I think history tells us that's not actually what happens for Pilate, and that's not what happens for us. Yeah. I was uh, I was watching a TV show recently where they were talking about heaven and hell, and it was these two guys who were not particularly religious, and they were talking to an ex-priest, and the ex-priest told them heaven and hell have to do with how you're remembered. Mm-hmm. So if people remember you well, that's heaven. That's your afterlife, is that you're you're mm-hmm. well-remembered, and if people remember you badly, then that's that's your afterlife, like that's hell. And so he said, Hitler, everybody knows that that guy was a psychopath. And so that that's hell for him is that he's always remembered in that way. Like the global consciousness is this is a bad guy. Right. Um, and Mother Teresa, sort of the opposite, right? We all sort of think like she had some personality quirks, but she was mostly good. She dedicated her life to what's good. And so I forget where I was going with that. Well, I think I heard where you're going with it. And that's the point Susan made in her talk is that all we remember about Pilate is that Jesus was crucified yeah. under Pontius Pilate. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's historically built into our confessions. and Right. So that doesn't put a very good mark on his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that what we associate his name with is this awful thing. Just because he washed his hands doesn't mean he was absolved of, any, of, of responsibility. Amen. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and just because we try and play that stuff off too doesn't mean that we always get out of our responsibility. Amen. And, that, and that that's part of what this week is about. Yeah. Is remembering it's not all about light and fluffy, but also the deep and heavy and hard places that we, we have to go through mm-hmm. in our own lives and spiritually and, and the hard places we meet with friend, family and friends and the, all of that stuff. We can't just say, oh, I'm done. We have to, we have to deal with it, whether it's easy or not, or all those things. Yeah. <laughs> third part of the story continues at Matthew 27, starting at verse 27 through 31. The soldiers assigned to the governor took Jesus into the governor's palace and got the entire brigade together for some fun. They stripped him and dressed him in a red toga. They plaited a crown of branches of a thorn bush and set it on his head. They put a stick in his right hand for a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mocking reverence. Bravo, king of the Jews, they said. Bravo. Then they spit on him and hit him on the head with the stick. When they had had their fun, they took off the toga and put his own clothes back on him. Then they proceeded out to the crucifixion. Pat, you talked about the crown of thorns. In the book of Matthew. And you threw in some John, too, which was great. Yeah, I wanted to kind of set the context a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I I had a sense that this crown has been showing up as long as I've been hearing this story. And it hadn't really connected very well with me with the whole idea of who's the sovereign in the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was mocked. With this crown of thorns and, and with the purple robe and being hit with the reed and, and smacked in the, in, the, in the face. 
but nonetheless, Jesus was the sovereign, is the sovereign. And um, I, I wanted to put it in a context, and it was fun just kind of trying to fill that out for myself after 37 years of ministry. Yeah. You know, I just hadn't, hadn't preached about the, the crown of thorns before. Yeah. And every morning on my walk with my dog, I pass by this tree that has these long, thorny branches. Mm. I'm thinking, if I, if I had a cruel streak, and I was one of the soldiers that had been, that Jesus had been given to, to, to do this, I'd think, yeah, he, everyone says he's supposed to be the king. Yeah, that's just ridiculous. So why don't we make him a crown and, mm. and shove it on? Yeah, put him in his place. Put him in his place and just, not just thrash him like he was supposed to be, yeah. but, the image Humiliated. that was on the screen during your talk, I don't know if you noticed it, but as soon as it popped up, the, the way the art, artist had made that scene, it really looked like that the soldier was pushing that crown down on Jesus' oh, sure. head. You it know, like, and, and, you know, that, that, that image of it just really just sort of having mm. the, the stabbing, the stabbing and the power and the, the play of that yeah. was really powerful. As, as yeah. you got there, yeah. I didn't see it. I'm kind of glad I didn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't that gory. It was one of the moments in the service when Susan was, like, elbowing me. But I don't know if people know that pastors do this during services <laughs> if we're all sitting together. We're noticing things and elbowing, and it's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, yeah. paying attention. Yeah. And then, of course, that raises the question, you know, how do you see Jesus? Is Jesus your sovereign or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all these other folks clearly said, nope, nope, nope. Yeah, well, they, they were all, again, they had that conflicting authorities thing, and or conflicting loyalties thing. Like, oh, yeah. are you loyal to... And they'd already made up their minds. Well, Caesar was the military power, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're loyal to Caesar, then you're going to be safe as long sure. as you follow the rules. And Pilate had to buckle under to, to to the people that were willing to report him to Caesar. Right. You know, you're not any friend to, to Caesar if you let this man go. So. And for the Roman people, right? Caesar, Caesar was... Not just the king, but the son of God. Right. He was deity. Yeah. So, yeah. And so if you said that, oh, by the way, there's another son of God running around, that's threatening. Maybe. I, I, I just, don't know if Caesar knew Jesus's name at the time. Uh, <laughs> but to not. the people, the peons who were worried about it getting mm-hmm. back to the big guy, you know, this was sort of. And the line when the people said, we have no king but Caesar. Yeah. Um, you know, these were the Jews talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they not going to say, we have no king but Yahweh? Yeah, or Elohim or whatever they're going to call him. Um, no, they they said we don't have any king but Caesar. Yeah, which is exactly the opposite of what Judas was hoping for. You know, he was right. hoping for the right. no king out. at all. <laughs> yeah, we're so. well. And then it begs the question: like, what do we put our security and trust in? Do we put our security and trust in our government? Do we put it in our financial stability? Do we put like where where are the places where we feel like mm-hmm. that's this is the this is the reason why it's okay. This is what's in control. It's powerful stuff. The story concludes tonight with Matthew twenty seven, forty five to fifty one. From noon to three, the whole earth was dark. Around mid afternoon, Jesus groaned out of the depths, crying loudly, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? Some bystanders who heard him said, He's calling for Elijah. One of them ran and got a sponge soaked in sour wine and lifted it on a stick so he could drink. The others joked, Don't be in such a hurry. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. But Jesus, again crying out loudly, breathed his last. At that moment, 
The temple curtain was ripped in two, top to bottom. So I went last, which is rough when you're following three amazing pastors. Oh, Chris. I know. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) Pat is gesturing for me to keep going. Um, (laughs) I I had the image of the torn veil. And for me, um, the torn veil is really that ripping apart of the Holy of Holies places where God was supposed to stay. That's where God lives. Every place outside of that is where we all hang out and our different levels of status and privilege in the society. And so when that veil tears, this giant, thick, huge curtain tears, it's like saying you can't keep God in that box anymore. You can't keep God walled up in this place where you think that you know where God is and God can't get out and get you <laughs> outside you of that. can't keep people away from God. Yeah, and the fact that Jesus spent his whole life going to the places where God wasn't supposed to go. And then, even in Jesus' death, um, the thing that happens immediately is this separation is torn between where God is and where we are. I just think that that's a powerful image, because there's all these places that we try to keep God out of. The thing that struck me when you started describing it, Chris, Uh was the veil as the thing that was designed to to prevent us from even getting a glimpse of God. Yeah. And here we are in a place where it's not, we're not just getting a glimpse of God. We're getting the full revelation and it's so massive. We can't comprehend it. Hmm. As you say, it's not just the glimpse that we're going to get. It's the fullness. It's the fullness of God. Mm. And um, that's a powerful thing. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And it raises a, a question for me of what do we do in the church to sort of keep people away from God? You know, we, we speak in a language that's not easily accessible. You have to, we talk churchy mm. and we have all kinds of secret handshakes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not in reality, but just you can tell right away who's who's in and who's out when you're looking at people in church. Whose church it is. Right. And, yeah. And uh, uh, I'm always trying to remain aloof from that enough so that I can identify with the folks who are not on the in crowd. Mm-hmm. And don't understand. And our church always always prints the Lord's Prayer in the bulletin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because there will be somebody there, we hope, that's never memorized it yeah. and would appreciate. Being able to follow along. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and not feel like a fool by just standing there going, oh, I don't know this. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think we push that, that image even further is that I think that we, the church, church people in the church you know however you want to say that we have created ourselves in such a way that we sometimes become the veil mm. mm-hmm. yeah. we, we get between people and their experience of god right you know some of it some of it is unintentional some of it's somewhat intentional uh to some degree but like i think about uh, the conversation about are you saved Ugh. Right? I think that's a perfect example of a veil we put up. Can you name mm-hmm. the date and time? Because mm-hmm. um, if not, then you're not saved. Audience, that's actually not what, what we believe. Yeah. <laughs> There's, we could unpack that for a few minutes. But, you know, those kinds of things. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and for, for me, so I'm an introvert. I know it doesn't always seem like that. But it, it's helpful for me when I'm going into a new place to have a job to do to have a role to play because otherwise I'm just sitting there and everybody's moving around me. And it's sort of like when you go over to dinner at a friend's house and they say, Oh no, you don't help clean up. You're a guest. 
which, you know, yeah, to some extent is like, you're thing. out of the chores, <laughs> but like, at the same time, it's also like saying, well, we're family and you're not. Right. Or that awkward situation before the dinner when you're, you're, you're the guest and you're and everybody's in the living room by around. yourself. With, yeah. with your drink because so, the rest of the family has to put the food on the table yeah you know and so we don't want to like vampire evangelism people like they walk in the door and we're like do you want to be an usher today you know because they don't know what's going on yet but but to help people find their roles and and when we're so used to this is my job this has always been my job uh, and this will continue to be my job we don't make space for new people to come in and mm-hmm. have input and offer a gift or even feel like they have a place to belong yeah yeah so so there's all these places where we try to exert control in our lives to deal with this fact that we can't control God. And I, I just loved how with the Judas idea of just like make a decision and end the problem and appeal to power or with Peter to, to run away. Like that's his solution for exerting control is to remove himself from the situation. Um, and with Pilate, it's just saying, okay, well I'm this, I'm not responsible for this. Somebody else is responsible for this decision. It, all the different ways we try to protect ourselves from the scary stuff in our lives and God goes straight into the scary stuff in our lives, into those places of fear and shame and pain and grief, um, the places where we don't think God belongs. God, that's where God shows up. And so ending this Good Friday service with the idea of this torn veil and God being on the loose and not having control over that, I think is great. You know, we know what the rest of the story is, but it's kind of nice to sit here for a while and think, what could happen next? What will God do now that God's on the loose? Yeah, so thanks, guys. Thanks for sticking around and talking to us. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, we'll let you go about your Good Friday business. What's next? You're having dinner, Pat? Yep. You're having dinner. And Gary, what are you going to do next? Hang around here, do a little bit, and then go home. Yeah. Susan, you got big plans? Uh, No. I'm going to go put on my onesie and edit a podcast. This Woo! one. It'll be exciting. And you can find it on sundaymorningsleepin.com uh, or on any place you get your podcasts. All right. Well, thanks, guys, and we'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks.